George Poole, 1984, connected us. Welcome to the podcast series, Path to Principle. In this series, we are going to interview different engineers and product managers so we can learn a little bit more about them. Let's get started. Today, we are joined by a great person. His name is Corrado Calzoni. He's originally from Italy, graduated from Politecnico di Torino, where he made a master's in land and environmental engineering and a PhD in geophysics. He has more than 20 years of experience an incredible career, where the last years he has been principal software engineer in Rush. He's also a big contributor to the engineering community, and today we have the pleasure of having him with us. Corrado, ciao, welcome to the podcast series Path to Principal. In this space, we want to know more about you and how you got into IT and becoming a principal engineer. I would like to start asking to introduce yourself. Gianluca, many thanks for your warm welcome. I am excited to be here because I listened to this podcast and I heard a lot of inspiring people and I found a lot of useful information here. So very happy to be here. I just realized from your introduction that it's been a very long time uh, when I started my career in the IT sector. Software development has been always the late motive of my career and I did lot of jumps and change of direction, leaving behind the geophysics and following my values and passions. For example, I worked as a researcher in the Politecnico di Torino and also at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I created a startup company with some friends and as you can guess, it never became the unicorn that I dream. It's still running. But I preferred to move away from geophysics, listen my heart, and start in the renewable energy sector. And finally, already six years ago, I decided to switch to the medical sector, where I can now have a direct positive impact on improving the life of other people. I, I do love to hear these amazing stories about changing people's lives. Actually, Corrado, I do what I do to help as many people as I can because I feel if tomorrow is my last day or maybe today, I can go happy that I have done something for the world. And hearing right now that you are doing this in the medical sector to help as many people as you can is inspiring. Being also a researcher in Politecnico de Torino, Georgia Tech is very well known in the industry. And also you created a startup that is still running. Uh, may our listeners know which is your startup or, or we have some <laughs> GDPR? <laughs> eh, no, 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 it's not a problem. It's Gamut, Gamut Geophysics. It's, uh, my friends are still working there, but it's already... 10 years ago that I jumped out of this company. Incredible. Also making contributions in that side. My father, uh, he was a geologist, not in geophysics, but he was also a geologist and passionate about that. But incredible, incredible. But let's get back on track. 
Corrado, tell us what made you seek the software engineering path. You told me it's your passion and you discover it, but how did you discover it? When was this moment? Yeah, uh, I started from a sector apparently far from computer science. I mean, I know it's not obvious the relation between geophysics and software engineering. However, I found myself always searching for geophysical challenge where I need to programs, algorithms, and software. And finally, I admitted to myself that I was more interested on the techniques and tools needed to solve the problem than the problem itself. As a result, I found myself hungry to learn about new programming language, design pattern, architecture trade-off, clean code, or to catching up on development techniques such TDD and extreme programming. At the end, more time I was spending in this new world and more benefits I was discovering. For example, one of the main advantages that I already mentioned, it's the ability to switch to new field and sector and working on more interesting challenges. It really impressed me about uh, software engineering, and I still strongly believe it that it's a relative young subject. I mean, it already have a long history, but people are still fresh in love with the software engineering. For example, our community is very active. There is a huge amount of meetup, events, ambassador programs, conference. People in our sector love to share knowledge with others much more than in other industries. I, I do believe the same, Corrado, as uh, we can see in the open source uh, community and even companies uh, such as Red Hat contributing directly, directly to these. And about your passions, uh, being more interested in the techniques, the design patterns, the clean code, uh, test-driven development, something that it's it's very important uh, to, to, to know. And even extreme programming, super interesting. This is a new concept, not that new, but a new concept that it's coming about agile software development uh, as a framework, right? Yeah, the precursor uh, of agile, I will say. Uh, yes, uh, that, that's very interesting. And, and what do you think about that? Well, do you think it will have a bigger impact? Can you explain us a little bit what, in brief, what is extreme programming is? Yes, extreme programming, probably the father of extreme programming is uh, Ken Beck, and it's a lot of techniques that improve the development of uh, software. Uh, for example, uh, introduce uh, techniques like programming, uh, TDD. Um, at the end, it's a way to have uh, more feedbacks from uh, the clients and apply this feedback in a constant uh, change. And then the, the fathers of TDD was the one that uh, defined the Agile Manifesto some years after. For example, Ken Beck, it was one of these. It's, it's about contributing and, and helping all the software community to develop better and faster software, right? With with less errors and, and helping each other. This is this is something very important. Now, Corrado, we need to start defining what a principal software engineer 
does, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Tell us about your path to become a principal software engineer. From my point of view, a principal software engineer is a multiplier that boosts the development activity, both in the team and wider in the organization. And here, I would like to stress the importance of the sphere of influence, because it's a key element to define the difference from a senior and a principal. For example, I can share here my experience. When I was a senior software engineer, I was already a technical reference in the team, for example, to debug the toughest issues or to anticipate technical challenge. However, when I was promoted to principal, I found myself struggling a little bit on the beginning because it was not be enough to be the one that know more about the product or the one that was able to make legacy code maintainable. Not anymore. In reality, I started realizing that I need to use this broad understanding of our architecture and products and start thinking holistically about the whole system. So it was possible for me to increase my impact cross team, for example, helping in planning and delivery complex multi-team feature or facilitate the decision-making in the organization, convincing other people about technical trade-offs and decisions. It's exactly more or less what uh, we do at Globo also. And at the same time, as, as you've been talking before, it's about also contributing to the community, right? For sure. This is also an important aspect. Perfect. So let, let's put it directly. You said from your point of view, some multipliers in Rush, what are the key responsibilities, exact key responsibilities? So we talk about not being just a technical reference, but having also broad understanding about the tech and product, thinking holistically, planning and delivering complex multi-team features and the technical trade-offs and point of reference. And what else does a, does a principal engineer have? Yeah, I I will reply with the, com, the most common answer in software engineering. It's depend. Uh, really, each company has a different idea of a principle. And I always get impressed when I talk with colleagues from other reality. And also inside the same company, it can exist big difference about uh, the responsibility of a principal engineer. For example, in Roche, there was a big effort to define the engineering's roles and standardize this responsibility of a principal in the different uh, departments and sites that we have uh, spread in the world. And I will say more, this responsibility can differ according to the specific need of a project. From my point of view, the main responsibility, as already said, is to boost the development productivity of an organization. Say that, this goal, this goal can be achieved in different ways. From providing oversight, coaching, and guiding through code review, de-escalating conflicts about technical matters, and also having conversation at E-level with the leadership team of the organization. 
just to mention some example of responsibility from my point of view, at least. Of course, Corrado, but this is super useful for all of our listeners and everybody that wants to understand a little bit more. Already as a principal, Corrado, what has been the most exciting challenge that you had? I think I had an interesting challenge when my department started the, the last reorganization, adopting a new agile framework. The challenge was not the switch to save itself, but the change in the leadership model that we embraced at the same time. In fact, we moved away from the previous hierarchical structure with the top-down decision, and we adopted a flattened model with uh, bottom-up uh, decision-making. Then my previous role as a development architect in the preparation definition team did not make sense anymore. I was not anymore the one accountable or respons responsible of the design decisions because now the team itself were taking this decision. So I needed to figure out a new way to drive and influence the product development. For example, I engaging more in productive dialogue with other colleagues with different ideas. I needed more collaboration across the project and the organization to build consensus around this technical decision that previously were just defined in a more unilateral way. But now I found new dynamics in order to achieve the same results. And this was particularly tough. That... Of course, changing sometimes a mindset or a structure for, for a new framework or a new way of doing things could demonstrate a big challenge. But uh, I am super happy to hear that you you implemented this this new flat um, structure and adopted this model, and it's super important, as you say, from also an HR point of view. Uh, I can say that this is super important. When you have a flat model, you involve absolute all the team members, and and everyone could feel happier and even being more productive. This is super interesting, Corrado. Now, for the future engineers that are listening, can you take us through the development of instrument management assets as you have experience with this? Yeah, absolutely. Instrument management is a big and complex project. We develop a common asset that are reusable by other Roche instrument products. In this way, we help our instrument project to cut their time to market. Instrument management is mainly developed with uh, .NET technology, and it has already a long history. So the legacy part play, as you can imagine, an important role. In particular, you need to think that in the medical sector, we ensure support of products for a lot of years. And taking account that instrument management is quite a big project. We are five teams, roughly 50 people involved. So you can understand that its development is really a collaborative process. 
So we try to, to take advantage of all techniques that help uh, collaboration. For example, uh, we use sample mapping in order to facilitate the socialization of new feature. We adopted the behavior driven development in order to strengthen the collaboration among development team, product owner, and requirement engineers. And here it makes sense to add, for example, that we don't have tester because testing is really one of our most important activity in our project and most uh, demanding activity. So then all the development team is in charge of the different level and aspect of the testing. This just provides a, a very high level overview of instrument management. Absolutely, absolutely, Corrado. And as you say, I, I love what you're doing with, with the testers, not going with the manual side and the QAs, but, but uh, everyone taking charge of what they are doing. As uh, having, what do you say, like 60 to 70 unit testing, 20 integration and 10% end-to-end, -end, or, or how are you making this happen? How are you ensuring that the tests are being held? Well, Depend. We obviously we have a lot of unit tests because these are fast and cheap to run. Uh, we have um, some integration tests. In particular, we use a lot of uh, Gherking. So we have um, acceptance tests uh, that are system tests. Uh, mainly all the tests that we have are more or less uh, automated. From the past, we inherited uh, some um, manual tests and uh, we are in the process of automatizing all these uh, tests. Essentially, we just uh, shaped our pipeline, pipelines in order to run all the unit tests for every gate check-in and uh, the manual, the, the acceptance tests that are more slow, just with the, the in, in some part of the pipeline. Very important to, to follow this process. Super interesting, Corrado. Moving forward, what are some common architecture bottlenecks and some possible ways to mitigate against them? Well, maybe the most dangerous architecture bottleneck can be the architecture team itself. I experienced this problem in the past where different teams were relying on a specific team in order to take architecture decision. And this is absolutely dangerous because from one hand, it can slow down the development of new feature. A lot of alignments need, needed to step forward, for example. On the other hand, it can also reduce the ownership of the solution by the different teams because the teams feel that the solution proposed is just a solution. It's not their solution. Sometimes this can be a structural problem related to an organizational chart. However, also broken architecture can lead to the same problem. At the end, there is one truth. We always need to take into account the Conway law. Organization produce software systems that are a copy of the organization communication structure. Yes, absolutely. The communication channel 
an organization have a direct consequence on the system that the organization develop. Luckily, it seems nowadays our industry learned this lesson and we have new architectural styles that mitigate this problem, reducing the amount of architecture bottleneck decision. For example, we have now microservice that can be deployed independently to other parts of the system. We have domain-driven design that bring bounded context that help to isolate a problem. Thanks to this new architecture, we can now shape our teams in squad that own a complete vertical of a product. So now the architecture team can just define a high-level master plan, but you know, the devils is in the details. And here is up to the team the possibility to solve the equation with minimum alignment with the architecture team and the rest of, of, of the organization. So we can remove this uh, bottleneck. Super important to remark, Corrado, that it's about the organizational communication structure. I do agree with you. This can help you not just in engineering, but overall all the way. And in the technical side, as you say, the architectural styles, the, the microservices, the DDD, and, and, and uh, so on. Now, let's try to move a little bit more into the, the teams. And as, as we're already talking about these communication teams, can you, like, can you tell us how do you prefer to interact with the team members? Like, can you describe your ideal team? Yeah. I really believe on the lemma leading by example. And here I strive for improving everyone's skills in the team. And I try to consider as much as possible everyone when acting. I love to improve the best practice inside the team. And I try to evangelize people about uh, important stuff as infrastructure automation, testing, clean code, just to do, to give some example. I know that sometimes maybe I'm not an easygoing person. For example, when pair programming, I tend to question everything, but it's because I like to listen to other people. I try to understand them and consider their opinion. And about the ideal team, well, if I, if I would be Aladdin and I could ask free wishes to the genie, I will go for sure with a team aligned with my values. That put in order of importance are respect for others, transparency, and a culture of constant feedback. Then a second wish would be to stay in a team that believe in the software craftsmanship principle can be summarized in professionalism, pragmatism, and pride. And last but not least, uh, a team where I can have fun with them. I really think when people have a good time together, they can make possible the impossible. I just love this, Corrado. Uh, a team that can have fun together can make possible the impossible. I just, just love it. And I also agree in this sense, 
because it's, it's about respecting being transparent and giving constant feedback. And that's also one of the, the objectives of, of the Agile. And of course, being professionalism, acting with pragmatism and pride and have fun. I really like this, Corrado. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Now, uh, we are in a world in which data, big data and, and data has been actually recorded, not brought. We always had it but recorded and, and stored in an easier way in which everyone has access to it. We're not talking about the Cambridge Analytica case or neither Politica, but uh, Corrado, I want to ask you, what are the pitfalls of overly relying on hard data when making important decisions? Yeah, this is absolutely a good, a good point. And if we define hard data, as verifiable data acquired from a reliable source, we can fall in the error that just analyzing hard data, uh, we can already take a weighted conclusion. However, we need to take in account that software engineering is a collaborative process. It implies humans, and it's complex by its nature. So hard data are not enough. We, we need also soft data. And soft data does not mean that are less precise data or unreliable. Soft data means that are based on qualitative information. If we use a medical analogy, a medical study can be composed by hard data, like blood test, temperature, or blood pressure but it can, it can also contain soft data. For example, asking to the patient uh, to rate his symptoms. Hard data in this case are completely blind without listening the patient. And in software engineering is the same. For example, it's fundamental to collect data about uh, static code analysis, test coverage, rate of test flackiness, the no turnaround times to fix a red build. However, I completely disagree to have KPIs with this hard data in just to be used in PowerPoints or Excel of manager. Because usually you need qualitative data to interpret this data correctly. So it's better to leave this data in the hands of the software engineers and let them to take informed inform technical decision with this data. It's, it's a combination, as you say. Absolutely. You mentioned some team KPIs, and, and let's move also to the objective key results that are uh, being used amongst many companies around the world. What team KPIs or OKRs does your team observe or pay attention to? Yeah, we recently we embraced the usage of objective results and it really helped us to make sure everyone is moving in the same direction. We have OKR at different levels, personal OKR and shared ones. At the end, uh, this OKR connects uh, people and teams, uh, working groups in 
in different ways. And what it really matters for me is that these OKR are not defined from up to bottom because uh, we create working groups to define these OKR. So people can join according their personal interests and motivation. I personally have special interest for quality, automation, more generally to have a software engineer culture in the company. So I was particularly active on working group moving these OKRs. Just an example. This year we are focused on foster lean and agile behaviors by applying engineering practice. So we have key results measuring the lead time the time elapsing from starting a feature and the moment we get feedback from the client. We measure another OKR is how many recurrent manual tasks we were able to get rid of. The number of documents we have removed or better automatized. Because you need to think that we are in a heavily regulated environment and documentation and process plays absolutely an important role. So we have a lot of effort to automate them as much as possible, essentially in order to increase efficiency and ensure at the same time quality. So we, we push on this direction our key results. As you say, increasing efficiency and quality, uh, and, and and very very interesting that they are not defined from up to bottom, but uh, with working groups. I think it's also related to what we spoke before, Corrado, the the flat organization and, and helping each other and in a collaborative way. Very interesting, and all of our listeners will be super happy to to hear. Now, we will jump to a question that not just I but everyone would like to know what key lessons you learn in the engineering field that you hold on and use? Hmm. I will say a key lesson that I found quite useful also in my life, it's the second system effect. When I read about this phenomenon in the book, uh, it was the, the mythical man month, it was like, Man, this is the, the truth. Because I saw evidence of this effect a lot of times. And I will say that I also had a confirmation when he was born my second son. And I started to take care of him. In fact, when you are architecturing your first system, you're usually quite prudent. And you design it carefully because you know that you don't know. So if you have some fancy improvement, usually you take apart and think, uh, maybe I will add the, the next time. Then you finish your first system and you prove that you master this kind of system. So it comes your, your second system. Now you are more confident. And here, there is the risk that you start adding all these cool and elegant ideas that you had in the previous experience. 
Moreover, there is also the tendency to push the refinement of existing functionality to their limit, when maybe are now close to be obsolete. As a result, your second system tend, tend to be over-engineered and way more complex than actually needed. How can you avoid this second system effect? And from my point of view, with extra self-discipline. For example, you can assign to each function a value. Capability cost white and affect performance. So weighting this consideration can be a guide for initial decision and also a warning during the implementation, I would say. Mm -hmm. So as you say, it's super interesting, the second system effect in the book, The Mythical Man Move, you said? Yeah. Can you yeah. repeat? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a book from the 70s, I will say, and it's mm -hmm. still completely actual. That's amazing how contributions from 50 years ago can still come and being very useful. As and it is, it is true when someone, when you got an experience about doing something, you learn the first time to ride a bike. The second time, you feel much more confident, and you try to do nice jumps and stuff. And then you can also, of course, fall if you don't uh, get uh, with the certain care, as you say, right? And in the engineering, it's very similar. They don't get things over-engineered, being extra disciplined, and, and this is very useful. Thank you, Corrado, for sharing this uh, amazing career with us and, and all your experience. Now, this is a recurrent question that I like to make in the podcast. Uh, I will slightly turn it uh, with, with your experience. But from George Bull, the creator of the Bull Algebra, the one that connected us, until today, what do you think is the greatest challenge in software engineering in the coming 10 years? Yeah, I have a strong opinion on this point. And I think by far the most important challenge will be ethicals. It's clear that we already seeing an exponential growth of software and hardware. And these solutions developed by software engineers are having unforeseen impact on the life of billions of people. And I'm not sure that our industry is taking seriously the burden of this responsibility. I mean, new data analysis algorithm allowed a company, as you mentioned before, Cambridge Analytica, to change the history because it influenced the, the Brexit and the last US election. Uh, we had we saw cheating embedded software allowing cars to pollute more than uh, allowed by the laws. Uh, we saw biased data set that has been used for train machine learning algorithms and then affecting face recognition of minority. This is just the starting point of what we are going to see. I cannot even imagine what will be the impact of our works in few years. And I'm not sure that developers, when are working in the daily base, if are doing, if are asking basic questions like, 
who plan to use my software? What is the worst case scenario if someone misuses my system? And then which kind of safety control I can put in place? Is my system potentially affected by bias? I really hope to see more debate on this ethical aspect because I think um, it, it will be more and more important. This is totally true, Corrado. And it, this is something that I think we all must take care of. And it will be interesting, even if not just engineers, but everyone rounding on the World Wide Web and on the internet can actually provide a better way of securing everything or data, not just with the example of Cambridge Analytica, but our own data. We have everyday MITM's attacks for the ones that don't know, it's a man in the middle attack, basically an interceptor of the communication or cross-site um, scripts in the webs. And something that uh, also can help maybe a, a type of symmetric key algorithm, symmetric encryption with the very low level and basic uh, things that we do. But as you say, Corrado, this is something much bigger. We, we can control maybe single sense of files but when there's the the, the the things are very vulnerable outside it's it's very delicate yeah and we sh we need also to take in account that maybe we're using our system in a, in a particular uh, way but maybe someone can use in a different way and it open completely other scenario that uh, you didn't take in account so it's important to always asking what what you are doing and if you are doing the best in order to guarantee safety to the users the user of the system i i do agree in this i uh, remember the book of uh, a life for science of stephen hawking and he was talking about the development of uh, ai and it's not about developing faster AI, but uh, AI focused on the development and helping of the world. And as you say, let's say you have a AI, Sophia the robot, the first robot citizen of the world. And suddenly someone put an algorithm or a way that this AI completely change uh, what, what is learning and, and change focus. As you say, everything is about ethics. Yes. One one bad decision or, or, or bias decision could change everything. But very interesting, super interesting. We have been hearing many cool opinions on this and nothing. So thank you for this magnificent class about principal engineering, Corrado. Now, I want to touch a topic that is very important in the whole world. It's about the diverse workforce. We understand that having a diverse workforce can capture a greater share of the consumer market and of course being more inclusive that that's the most important thing and at global we advocate for diversity for example but what will you do to increase diversity yeah i am absolutely very happy to hear that you take care of diversity in global because it's fundamental to have a sustainable uh, workplace and i will say more than a diverse workforce what we really need is a inclusive workforce. In fact, we should create a place where 
everyone feels they belong to. No, no matter if we speak about people of different gender or different race here. An inclusive place is the one where we minimize the unconscious bias in the team and where people actively remove judgment and discrimination that may occur. And yeah, the, the question is hard because it's absolutely hard to achieve uh, this result. And we struggle in the tech industry to find the correct receipt. Because just hiring more people from underrepresented groups is not enough. Because the real problem is that this group have usually a huge problem in a shun to more senior position and get uh, in the leadership teams. What we really need is to have people in management position that believe in the value of inclusion. So they could mentor and more important sponsor valuable person from these unrepresented groups. These people need example model in the management chain where they can learn from and aspire to be. From my point of view, a good starting point for a company that want to have an inclusive workforce is to publicly state a cut of the salary gender gap. Not only because it's the fair thing to do, but also because it's a clear message that the company is spread outside. As a consequence, it will attract a different profile of candidate, more sensible to this problem. And this could be the seed of a better work environment. And obviously there are a lot of other solutions. However, we are still uh, searching looking for the right uh, receipt, I will say. Yes, there, there is no no uh, unique spaghetti receipt. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Which one is your favorite Italian dish in the world? <laughs> well, probably uh, tortellini, I will say. Tortellini, really good in, in, in uh, I remember my grandma making those on winter. It's really good, really good. My favorite is lasagna, uh, bolognese. <laughs> but not From the same uh, region of Italy, I will say. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so nothing, uh, before we uh, close this amazing episode that we had today with you, Corrado, I want to ask you the last question, and it's about what will you recommend or say to any person that wants to start in engineering? Yeah, I I will stole some word to Sandra Mancuso here because I really advise to a junior software engineer starting his career to become first of all a software crafter. You are the owner of your career. Don't just sit and wait for your employee to buy a book for you or pay a training for you. Do you want to become a better developer? You need to keep up to date. Our industry is moving so fast. So more knowledge you have and better company and better project you can join. The question is maybe how you can achieve it. I will say starting reading many books, not only books of specific technology because they expire very soon. You need to read also the, the classics 
and the behavioral books, for example, because it helps in the daily interaction with your colleagues. And also read a lot of blogs, join the community, learn from the community, but also give back, sharing with the community. And probably the most important things is practice, practice, and practice with coding dojo, pet, pet project, contributing to open source project. You need to take in account that to become a better professional, this is a lifetime commitment. Lifetime commitment. I just love to hear this. And you mentioned the book classics. Can you mention three books related not to management, but to software? Uh, maybe the clean code is, is one, or I'm not that aware. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like it, the, the, the books of uh, Robert Martin about clean code, but also I will say another uh, classic uh, book that you sh absolutely uh, need to read is uh, TDD by Example of Ken Beck, and mm -hmm. also the Pragmatic uh, Programmers. And there are tons of books. Also, uh, mm -hmm. already mentioned the uh, software craftsmanship of Sandro Mancuso, refactoring mm -hmm. of Martin Fowler. Uh, we really have a <laughs> lot of, of books uh, <laughs> to, to take, uh, yeah. to, to be sourced. Perfect. And if you have to pick, I know that this question is impossible because we need a lot always more sources to learn. We, we cannot rely just in one, but your favorite blog or maybe couple? The, the, the blog of Martin Fowler is very good. And mm -hmm. also uh, we need to think also that uh, we need to, there are other sources that are very interesting. For example, uh, Twitter now it's a very good uh, source of information, and uh, for example, people like uh, Davy Dave Fowler are very active and share a lot of useful information. Uh, at least I'm in the session .dot net uh, world, so I'm interested to this uh, to this source. Of course, it depends also in in what. Uh... What side of the force you are? <laughs> yes. No, but it's about, of course, going going for, for the things that you want to specialize and, and for all the listeners that want to be engineers in the future, practice, practice, practice. I once heard that learning, learning, not being an engineer is not just learning to code, but learning to code is like learning a new language. You need to practice and practice every day so you can get into it and learn it. I don't know if you agree to this. Yeah, absolutely. I compare with others because otherwise uh, uh, you don't know what is your state. Uh, you, you, you may think that uh, you already have a lot of knowledge, but there are a lot of great people in the world, in the same sector that you, you are working. <laughs> and one of those, uh, uh, it was you today, and I'm pretty sure you will keep growing. Thank you again. 
Uh, let's hope to continue bringing great people such as you, Corrado. It was a real pleasure sharing with you this this experience, this podcast, and uh, looking forward to sharing with you. Thank you all for attending this podcast. Stay tuned and thank you, Corrado. Thank you, Gianluca. It was very interesting for me to join uh, this uh, podcast. Many thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. My show, this is...